Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So much to talk about this week on the podcast. First of all, you know that I always try to tackle things as a fan of wrestling first and foremost, but sometimes that blonde, uh, blonde, maybe it was a blonde moment, sometimes that blind optimism fails me. I want to talk uh, a little more this week about Give Divas a Chance. I made a statement on that in the state of wrestling last week. Uh, it was probably wrong in hindsight and based on what I've seen since then. Uh, I want to talk about that and some of the stuff that's heading towards WrestleMania. But first, let's get to uh, let's get to our guest this week on the podcast. He's got a new podcast of his own. It's called Men's Fashion Aficionado. His name is Josh Matthews. Now, Josh, I feel like doesn't get enough credit for the amount of wrestling that he's seen and been around. Uh, over the past uh, almost 15 years, he was part of season one of Tough Enough on MTV, uh, and and pretty quickly after that, ended up getting a job with WWE as an announcer. Um, he survived as an announcer in the company uh, and kind of developed and, and took on every role conceivable for a broadcaster within the company uh, over the, over whatever it was, 12, 13 years. Um, you know, he got in the ring a couple times, he took a couple bumps, he did commentary, he did interviews, he hosted the pre-shows, he, everything you can think of, um, and he's seen it all, he's interacted with everybody. He left WWE, or he was, uh, fired, I guess, let go, about, I don't know, towards the end, or middle to the end of last year, and now does commentary as the lead play-by-play analyst for TNA Wrestling, uh, Josh has been a friend of mine for a while. We hung out quite a bit while he was living in Stanford here uh, next to WWE HQ. Don't get to see him as much now that he lives down in Nashville as he works in TNA. But I did get the chance to sit down and talk to Josh about where he was at, about his career, about how he felt about uh, his time in WWE and leaving, about how he felt about starting in TNA and starting over and where he has. And I'm, I'm telling you, he was, he, was, he was hired by WWE as an announcer uh, with no experience whatsoever. He didn't know what he was doing. He had to learn everything. Uh, but he's become, I think, a great announcer over the last 12, 13, 14, 15 years. Uh, and you can hear that. He's very confident in his ability, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, he's become a good announcer. He's confident in that, and probably one of the reasons why he is good is because he's confident in it. Here he is, my pal, Josh Matthews, on the podcast. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. I never like to look at you when we're talking. I always look at my phone. Why? Why is it rude? Do you know that? Yeah, do you know what that does? What does it do? Like, it makes me say, okay, I'm not doing a good job. He's not interested. No, you're doing a great job. I what just if, started. What if, what if something happens in current events that I need to know about right away? And what? Record, record it for a podcast that's not going to air for another month and a half? Because, well, 
Welcome, Josh Matthews. Did you see the interview, the movie? Yeah. This is going to be old news by then, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't bring that up. I've seen it twice already, by the way. I saw the interview in a movie theater. Not a lot of people oh, that preview. preview. Were you afraid that they were going to blow up the theater? No, because it was a preview. I didn't, nobody had said they were going to blow up the theater. It was before it was not going to be in theaters. Oh, really? And then I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't be shown in theaters. Because then I would have been one of the only people to see it in theaters. Yeah, but then they released it digitally, and now everyone can watch it from the comfort of their home. Yeah, I watched it at home, too. Yeah. It's a good movie. Welcome, Josh Matthews. Thanks. What's the haps? The haps are that uh, I'm happy to be back in New York, back in the Northeast. Is that a pun on hap? What? I said, what's the haps? And you said, I'm happy. No, not at all. I don't even like that sentence, what's the haps? It's a question. Question. Yeah. It's not a statement. It no. could be a statement, though. Hey, what's the haps? That's a question like, hey, still. What's up? What's, oh, when you say what's up to somebody, is that a question? Yes, of course. When you walk home. It's, it's a, what is up. It's, when you you're walk asking into for your res- house yeah. and you say to your wife, what's up? Like, do you wait? Are you looking for, like, a long answer? No, I'm looking for an answer, though. If I just go, hey, what's up? And she just looks at me. If I'm walking down the street of New York, like I was earlier today, and people recognize me. Wow, that's really impressive. People recognize me like they do. And someone says, hey, Josh Matthews. I always say, what up? Then they go, not not much. Nope, they don't say anything. They should. No, they don't. I would. They're scrambling for their cameras and iPhones so they can take a photo. As must I, be, must as be I, so <laughs> tough to be Josh Matthews. Oh, as my I, God. As I run away frantically. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to be more humble, though, in 2015. It sounds so. like it. Yeah. Well, welcome. Well, 2015 is a big time for you. Big year. TNA. Yeah. You're there now. Yeah. You're it's... There. Uh, the, the middle of 2014 was quite the uh, quite the well, year. Yeah. So what happens? You were WWE. Yeah. For 13 years, mm-hmm. and you come uh, pretty much everything that you know about broadcasting you learned from WWE. I mean, you weren't a broadcaster before you got there, right? No, I was in school for TV radio production, mm-hmm. but I wasn't even into my field yet. I was still in like the general studies at uh, Purdue University before all this started. So and- I did. I lived. In the studio, 120 Hamilton in Stamford, Connecticut. I was there 12, 13 hours a day just learning and absorbing and, and trying to better myself. And so how long were you there before you actually, they were like, okay, we can use this kid? Um, so I signed my deal in July of 2002, I think. Jeez. And I don't think I did anything on the air until January, maybe of the, the next, next year. next January, yeah. so like six months or so. Yeah, six, seven months. Did they just sign you because they like you? I think so. I think there were certain people that saw things in me that they were like, okay, we can do something with this kid. We don't know what it is yet. There were like two or three people that really saw my personality um, on the reunion special. The Tough, tough Enough special. Tough Enough yeah. 1 and Tough Enough 2 here in New York. Uh, we did a reunion. It was three days. And I'm 21. And MTV was paying us a bunch of money to just run around the city. And I took full advantage of that. And little did I know that everywhere I went um, at the end of you know, shooting or taping, I was with and around executives from MTV and WWE. Not a lot of people know that I actually actually auditioned for MTV during this time, too, to be a VJ. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because that's when there were VJs, when you can send in a mm-hmm. tape. I think when I was around probably like 18 or 19, I probably sent in a VJ yeah. tape to MTV. How'd it go? Probably about as well as your VJ tape went. I actually I auditioned for MTVU. It, w- it hadn't even started yet. And was that like the predecessor to MTV2? Uh, I think MTV2 was out, and okay. now they were starting their third channel, MTVU, for university. And they were going to send the VJs all around different campuses. And that's how they were going to structure that 
particular channel. But it didn't work out. No, it didn't work out. The audition happened the day after the Tough Enough uh, season one finale. So I had just lost. So my dreams of being a pro wrestler were just crushed. So did you think at the end of Tough Enough, were you like, well, I'm not, now that's it. Like when Tough Enough's on, are you going, okay, I think I might be a pro wrestler. And then at the end of Tough Enough, are you thinking, well, I'm not, okay, well, I'm not going to be a wrestler. No, how that happened was after the season was on the air and it ended and I started doing the independent shows. Mm-hmm. So guys were booking me in California and Arizona and all these different places. And at this point, you've got MTV. Because Tough Enough was a huge show because it was mm-hmm. on MTV. It was the highest rated show that MTV had ever done at that point. And it was before, I feel, I mean, people were smart to wrestling, but not that smart. It was the first time that we ever pulled the curtain back. Right. So the season ended, and I'm doing all these independent shows all over the country, and I hated it. I hated traveling alone. I hated being by myself. I remember, because I was still living at home. I'm 20 years old. So that romantic, like, indie wrestler thing that most of the guys I feel like who go to WWE kind of, like, long for that. Oh, remember when it was just me on the road in a Uh -uh. suitcase? You hated that I hated it. I hated every second of it. I was 20 (laughs) at the time, so I'm still living at home. I remember arguing with my mom about Uh having to fly to Arizona to do an indie shot. And she was like, look, they, they sent you all this cash. They already paid you. I was like, send it back. I don't care. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Your mom is sitting there going like, no, no, no. This is how you, it was you're like building your dreams coming true. And you're going, nope. no, I'm looking for a contract that is way too fat for me at a young age yep. that I can't handle. Yep. Uh, and just something cushy right away. Yeah, bro. I'm telling you, uh, it was, I remember because she was like, no, we're going. It was like going to school. She was like, I'm taking you to the airport. You're going to do the show. And I was <laughs> so mad. Whereas every other indie wrestler, their mom was like, this is never going to work. Don't, don't pursue this. This is. Your mom is pushing you to do it. Because I signed, you know, it was one of those deals where, you, well, you said you'd go. You right. signed the contract. They sent you half the money. I, I'm looking at it. It's right there. I sent it back. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't care. I don't want to go. Which, have most of the time for indie shows, especially for like a Josh Matthews, you're not getting half up front. Like, nobody gets half up front like that. Well, Even that was like a cushy situation. But you have to remember, this is like right off of the show. So I had just been one of the featured players. So you're players the draw. I'm the draw, yeah. And I remember we were supposed to go on last. I was supposed to work Chris Nowinski. Uh, Taylor, the girl that was on Tough Enough, uh-huh. was supposed to be the referee. So I get At to this, this Arizona sh- show. At this Arizona outdoor show. So I get to the deal, and I'm just miserable. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> and I meet for... And how old are you? 20. The fact that you're 20 and miserable uh-huh. doing anything is like, yeah. who are you? So I didn't want to do it. So I meet for the first time, Juventud Guerrero. Uh-huh. And we just became best friends. I mean, he was like, if, dude, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Tell him you're hurt. Oh, that's great. Because <laughs> Hooventoon has, at this point, like one of the worst reputations in wrestling. Oh, without question. And he's already, he's over it completely. Uh-huh. But Hooventoon has been wrestling for years at this point. He's been through Mexico. And it, yeah, at yeah. that point, he'd been in WCW. And he's been through the Indies. I mean, he's been, he's he seen it juice. all. The juice was, it was Hoovy. Was, that right. already happened. Hoovy juice. Hoovy juice. But so, you're just this kid who's been on MTV uh-huh. who it took 19 tries to do a moonsault. Uh-huh. And you're going, no, I don't really want to be here. Yeah, and I remember people, I would read later on, like a few weeks later, like the bad rep that I was getting on the indie scene. I didn't, <laughs> but I didn't care. I didn't want to do it. I didn't work the show. I told the guy I'm hurt. I said, I, I'm here. I'll go out and do something. He goes, what's wrong? I don't know. My ribs are hurt. I, what do I tell you? I'm not doing the deal. You took Hooventude's advice. Yeah, and he didn't work either. <laughs> so we both went out. We signed autographs. I, it was at a festival or something. So I remember we walked around the festival, and I was like, this is great. I don't want to be a wrestler anymore. I don't want to do it. You don't want to. Nope. And I think I had also done the audition, though, with WWE uh, to be an announcer, and I think I was already putting my eggs in that basket. What was your wrestling experience before Tough Enough? Um, well, 
we had a wrestling ring as kids. So you backyarded a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, but we went to a professional school that we paid money to. Lo and behold, the guy was, you know, no one and never made any money. It was a bread delivery guy who just happened to have a wrestling ring in a warehouse. <laughs> uh, and we paid him money every month, uh, me and, like, three of my friends. And my mom would drive us to Did this you learn dude's... anything? Uh, no, but we were in a ring. So we right. already, like, knew how to do everything, but we were in this dude's ring. We'd never been in a ring before. So you I figured remember, out how to run the ropes or whatever. I remember we, we all got in it for the first time, and I'm doing, you know, springboards and stuff <laughs> off the ropes and stuff. And the dude's looking at us like we're all crazy, but he's like, okay. He's, I think he thought, you know, for this little indie prom—what uh, prom, do you call those things? The, uh, the deal that he was running. Uh-huh. Um, I think he thought he could make some money off of us because we were young, good-looking kids. Right. So he's basically putting on a backyard show in a ring. In a warehouse, yeah. In a warehouse, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's that's the level of of professional that you're dealing with. Just a bunch of kids that I, well, I don't know how to teach them, but I'll take their money and let them use my ring. Exactly. And so that was your experience. That was the leading into tough enough. Yeah, and then we bought the wrestling ring, and um, that's when we, as kids, sort of trained ourselves more or less. I mean, I was in that ring every day. It was like a kid going and learning how to play hockey or, or skate or something. I was literally every day, and it was a black canvas with black robes. So imagine in the summertime how hot that got. It's like 110. Yeah, and we would soak it with the hose, but it was a legit uh, ring that we bought for two. Did you grand. run shows? Um, no, we had a um, uh, a public access TV show. Okay. That I edited with two VCRs and a little four channel audio mixer. Right. Um, that I did the voiceovers for as well. <laughs> So you, that, you, that was your first taste of play-by-play? Uh, yeah, theoretically, yeah. sure. Yeah. But I remember doing the voiceovers for, like, the packages that I would cut. And I would call my friends over, like, oh, you got to see this package I cut. And you got to hear the song. <laughs> and it was, you know, at the time it was sort of cutting edge uh-huh. for what we were doing. Uh-huh. And we had T-shirts made up. I mean, it was, uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. Is that I heard the- your interview with Robbie E. Yeah. And everything you guys were talking about I could uh, relate to when you talked about backyard wrestling and the trampolines and all that stuff. Yeah, it seems like that was a whole generation of kids. Because that's the same time, like, you grew up in Chicago, right? Just outside of, yeah. Because when CM Punk was there in yep. Chicago, he was doing the exact same yep. thing. He had a ring. He was putting on a promotion. There was a time... When that was the thing you would do. I think well, it was... The it, DVD. Did you ever see the DVD, Backyard Wrestlers? Best of Backyard Wrestling? I'm featured all over that thing. Are you? Yeah, go watch it. Because Actually, like, their sell for that is featuring Josh Matthews from WWE. Really? America's favorite Backyard Wrestler. So they would like re-release it once you had some tough enough credibility. Yeah, but I sent them hours and hours of stuff. And then I remember... No, 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 no. No one paid us anything. But I remember when I got to WWE, I got called into one of the offices. Yeah. And they were like... And they pulled up the website. They're like, is this you? I was like, yeah. Well, what's the deal? I did this a year ago. I'm a wrestler. Yeah, what do you want me to tell you? And <laughs> yeah. they were like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. By the way, can we use the name Josh Matthews? Sure, you can. That's yeah. why I get to use it now. Oh, you started with it. That mm-hmm. was your name. I brought it to them. Huh. Yeah. With, with one T. One T. Good for you. Yeah. That Good was the big you. thing of um, when we were getting ready to do the TNA release. Uh-huh. It was like, how do you want to do this? And they, they were asking me. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get sued if, uh, if, if they own the name, which I don't – they didn't. At the end of the day, no one owned the name, so it's my name. And I brought it to them. Right. But it was, uh, it was a, not a point of contention, just a, uh, a question. Just of, figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, like, can how we do we use it? And what do we do if we can't use it? Well, you put two Ts in there. Taz went from two Zs to one Z to three Zs to whatever right. he's doing. So whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Although, yeah, although I'm surprised they didn't try to claim ownership over the Taz with one Z. Because WWE claimed ownership over Dudley Boys. Right, but I think when Taz, and I don't want to speak out of school, but I think when he did his deal, he made sure to go through every line of his contract. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So what happens then? And I love, by the way, that you had enough motivation to put on your own wrestling shows, 
to buy a ring, to train, to be like, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the minute you have to travel, when did your ego develop to the point where you're like, well, I'm not doing this? I don't know if it was an ego. We were all workers for sure, though. Like, in the sense that when we bought the ring, the guy was going to bring it up from Georgia, mm-hmm. and he wanted to charge us two grand. Mm-hmm. And my brother comes to me, and he's like, bro, we only got like 1700 I'm like, fuck him. I'm like, what's he going to do? He's going to drive up from Georgia, and we're going to short him 300 bucks, and he's going to say no? So you got the business from the beginning. Right. I was yeah. a worker from Jump Street. But right. I just think that once I did the indie shows, and I think I did like a week And is that once, what happened? He came, and he was like, here's the ring. And you're like, well, no, here's we 1700 ended, we ended up coming up with the other 300 bucks. But you were ready to not have it. Oh, absolutely. Good. What's he going to do? Um, <laughs> um, I did like five or six of the indie shows. And I mean, as a kid at 20 years old, I was making like cash money, like $1,000 a show right off of MTV. And I was happy. Um, But at the end of the night, when I was in the car driving back to wherever I was going, I was like, this just isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I was also being courted at the time by WWE to be the announcer. Right. So you'd had the taste of MTV. You were still talking with WWE about a possible thing. And you were like, ah. And I was in college. So it was like, uh, right. You know, right. What was I going to do? Right. So when, but once you got to WWE, you didn't want to be a wrestler anymore. No. You were fine being like, okay, I'll learn to be an announcer. Totally content. I saw more longevity out of it, um, less wear and tear in my body. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no doubt less wear and tear on your body, but it's true. I mean, over the past 13 years that you were there, who's still there? I, I mean, was Big Show there when you got there? Um, yeah, I think like the big shows and the Booker T's were all just starting to come in at that point. Maybe like the, big the invasion show Mark had Henry just happened. And Michael Cole, but that's it. Um, for the most part, yeah. Pretty I can't much. think of anyone that is still there that was there when I started. So I remember when people would come back, like the Sables of the world. Right. And I would be people that they recognized and they remembered. And it was like, this is so weird that you guys have now taken this hiatus. Now you're back six years. And of the people that are still here, I'm one of the few that you actually know. Right. Well, I mean, you were right about the longevity. Yeah, but think about, I mean, all the cruiserweights that I've seen come and go over the years. That's the, the category that I would have been in, the Shannon Moores of the world, right. the, the uh, Hurricane Helms of the world. And those guys are still doing their thing in the indies, but I, that just wasn't for me. Right, right, right. Yeah, you didn't want to have like a, here's your WWE run. It has a finite amount of time right. on it, and then it's back to the right. indies. I mean, over the 13 years that I was there, I probably made more money than I would have had I, I would think been so. a wrestler. Yeah. yeah, I would hope so. So... What what do you do then after 13 years? When What's the first thought that crosses your mind when they're like, we're all done? It was sort of weird because I knew, and without going into too much detail, I knew that my deal, I knew for six months that I wasn't going to re-sign or be re-signed in July. I knew so in January. You, okay, so you were not, you were going in going, I know when my deal's up. Yes. And even if, so if they had offered you something, you had no plan on, you had no plan to re-sign. I knew that there was not going to be an offer. Okay. In January. Is that somebody told you or writing on the wall? Um, someone told me. Okay. So, and I was given the option to leave in January if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I chose to stay. Um, and that was totally my decision. And, and I, it, it sort of was like a weight lifted off my shoulder because I knew that I only had to deal with this for another six, seven months. And I didn't have to put too much stock into it because I knew that it was going to, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, I always knew that I would go to TNA. I just thought it would be like maybe 38, 39. I'm 34 now. Okay. I thought I had like another five years left. Um, so a football coach, I think it was one of the Ryan brothers, when he got fired, um, he said, he's like, I'm going to be unemployed for like five minutes. I think I was unemployed for about an hour. Well, what was the first thing that you did? I called Taz. Immediately. Immediately. I left Titan Towers. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I called, well, first I called my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I called my parents. And then I called Taz. Um, but I was still on my way home. 
And uh, I was like, hey, man, I know we haven't spoken in quite some time, but uh, is there any chance that I can, that, you know, they want me there? He said, let me call right back. He hangs up. And he calls me back. And, and this says, is literally in the car, I'm in the driving car. away and from Titan you, Towers. And mind you, I lived probably about two and a half miles from Titan Towers at this point. Right. So um, he calls me back, and he says, how soon can you get to Manhattan? And I can be there in an hour. So it was now, I had my meeting at Titan Towers at 10. It was probably noon by the time I got to um, the Manhattan Center, mm-hmm. where TNA was running their first show of the summer. Which is just crazy coincidence. Just crazy day, coincidence. You know, and I remember because... I remember going to that show, and that day reading, you know, the dirt sheets were like, well, Josh, you know, I did the, you know, best I never of got luck my, on this. Uh, I never got my you future get... endeavor uh, best of luck on the website. You didn't? Uh-uh. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's that's got to stick in your crow a little bit. I guess they didn't wish me the best of luck. <laughs> well, but that but the dirt sheets got it right away. Right away, Like the yeah. day of. Yeah. Because I remember, I think I texted you. And then I texted our mutual friend, Matt Fortune, yeah, who, uh, who we've <laughs> Hi, done a Matt. podcast with together in the past. Uh, but um, he was like, yeah, I think Josh is at the TNA show. And I went, what? Like this just – so I assumed. I was like, oh, you know what? He must have gotten fired like last week. He just hasn't reached out to me yet. And now he's at the TNA. And he's, you're texting me going, no, I'm leaving the show now. But no, that was this morning. Yeah, that it was, was 10 a.m. It was so weird because I saw, like, Matt and Jeff Hardy, and they were like, oh, yeah, we heard. You're, you're here already? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, yeah. And, and the way I, I was introduced differently than the other guys that were there, ex-WWE guys that were there. I was introduced as, like, okay, this guy's going to come work here now. And it was a it was a cool feeling because it wasn't like I didn't go home. You know, I, mm-hmm. I went right to the train. I went right to, to Manhattan Center. And you were pretty well sure that that's like they gave you pretty good assurance when you we got went there that into day into a room shook hands mm-hmm. and a deal was done that day wow yeah so i literally unemployed for about an hour and you were fine yeah so was there part and then at that point are you going i got to figure out how this whole new thing works this is you know i'm kind of used to no it was actually i was pretty happy to be honest with you because it was like I get to leave the Northeast. I get to move to Nashville where I can, you know, the difference in the price of living from New York to Nashville right. is, is exponential. It's I mean, crazy. A, even without, like, that's a raise. Exactly. By itself, just yeah. cost of living difference. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the only hiccup was my girlfriend. You mm-hmm. know, what, what are we going to do? That was really the only hiccup that I had in regards to, because she lives in New York. So it was going to be like, okay, so, you know, how do we handle this? And it's been six months and everything's been fine. So it was like, how do we handle that part? But the professional part of it was, hey, you know, we want you to be the guy. Um, you know, there's no audition. There's no, there's nothing. It was just we want you to be the guy, and that's that. Well, it's a weird thing, I think, that you came from a place where – so you got hired from WWE as a non-broadcaster. No, I was hired as a broadcaster. But, I mean, as somebody with no oh, broadcast someone, yes, experience, yes. which meant that – there was no reason for like you didn't have a chip on your shoulder necessarily. Like there was no part of you. There was no reason for you to have an ego. No, you had no experience. You had no whatever. And so I would think the whole time you're there, that stigma. It's hard to shake that stigma. Like I've been at Sirius XM for ten years almost, and it's still like every day is that. Tr- Luckily, we've gone through several bosses because if we had had one boss the whole time, he'd probably still look at me as that intern that we hired. Right. As opposed to going through different bosses, and once you get in front of a new boss, 
they look at you for what you are today as opposed to what you were but when you were you have a you chip in. on your shoulder. You feel now. that the day that Opie leaves that you should take over. <laughs> That's I've never said that to you. But I feel that. That's your own opinion. Am I right or wrong? Wrong. Really? I hope Opie never leaves personally. Okay, well, it, it, the day that he does decide to, to stay home, you, you feel that you're entitled to that morning slot. Well, I'm not – I don't – I'm not working for his Let's spot. Turn this around here a little bit. What are you working for then? You want your you have my your own spot, show. My spot, right? Okay. But when do you want that to be? I went to the it happens or, to be at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. I went to the uh, WWE training center. Okay, and there is a big sign on the wall, and it says, "You're not taking. You're not making a." Actually, yeah, I don't remember what remember it says. It, huh? But it's something to the was that compelling to you that no, you No, I know, know what it says. You're not taking a spot. You're making a spot. Okay. Okay, Josh Matthews. So I'm not looking for Opie's spot in radio. I'm looking for everybody else to recognize what Sam Roberts' spot is. Okay, but you have more of an opportunity on this huge platform than a broadcaster in wrestling does. Yeah, I mean, a, you mean just Sirius XM in general. Exactly. For There's sure. so many, they could say, hey, Sam, we want to put your show on channel 456. If they said, Sam, we got this spot on a different channel, we're giving you afternoons. Raw Dog. I'm ready for it. Comedy channel. Great. How many are there? Literally, how many channels are there? I mean, 200 plus. Right. You know, so, so yeah, I'm ready for it, but you're right. I mean, in the world of... Of whether it's TNA or WWE or any of these spots, there are, there's probably a much more limited amount of spots. There's, there's one there's top three. guy, and there's that's there's it. three shows. If you if you think about it, there's their Monday show, uh, Impact for us on Destination America on Fridays, right? And then there's their Thursday show, right? That's it, right? So when you really look at it, it's like wow. In terms of being a play by play or broadcaster, yeah, that's it. You know, when when TNA signed the deal with Destination America, I remember. Them, them being the executives, saying something like, there's only two companies in the world that have deals of this magnitude, global deals, and we're one of them. Right. You know, there's them up there, and then there's us. So, I mean, I've heard all the, you know, they're not competition and things like that over the past few months, but it's like, it's the same platform, and there's yeah. only two of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, you have to realize. Right. Especially if TNA starts to really amass a following. Guess where those fans are coming from? You know what right, I mean? Of like, course. You, they, of course, it's competition. You know, it's so funny when the press release came out for um, me being the main play-by-play guy in Impact. Um, Taz, I saw that dreamy photo and everything. Get yeah, published. I tried to get a Colgate uh, deal <laughs> yeah. for the whiteness of my teeth, but so, they haven't reached out yet. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Is there a Colgate channel here at Sirius? XM? I think they're they're actually developing one. I believe. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I can be on it. Yeah. Just put a big billboard. By the way, we're not here at Sirius XM. Oh, where are we? This is Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Oh, right. We're on the internet. Oh, the internet. That's right. Okay. What was I talking about? Uh, You were talking about Colgate. Before that. Well, you were saying that uh, TNA... Oh, the press release. Put out the press uh, release. Yeah, so Taz said in the press release, you know, we want to be the best wrestling team, announced team in the business. Mm -hmm. And we got a text from a mutual friend that said, can you guys reach a little higher? (laughs) You know, because really, I mean, we, we are we are going to be the best, and it's not even going to take long for us to become well, the best. When when did you watch the Vince McMahon Stone Cold podcast? I read the transcript. I didn't watch it. Okay, so when you find out that Vince McMahon is uh, really he was really being a stickler about calling it sports entertainment and saying this isn't wrestling, this is sports entertainment, this is a different thing, blah blah blah, this is not wrestling. Do you and I guess you guys at TNA look at that like okay, well then we're going to grab wrestling. Like, do you look at that as an opportunity? I just look at it as someone who just doesn't get it anymore and hmm. has, has 
lost so much touch with what his product is and didn't like anything else that was going on. So he literally created his own universe. That I mean, that's why they call it the universe because right. he created it and he lives in that bubble. Um, it's really hard for me to say wrestling. It really is. Because, I, oh, because you've been programmed. I've been programmed. I carried in a championship with me here today. Uh-huh. I won't call it a belt. Right. We were going through security downstairs, and the guy goes, well, what is that? It's a championship. <laughs> and my girlfriend goes, it's a wrestling belt. I won't call it that. Right. And there's certain things that I believe that I was taught, mm-hmm. um, that I believe in. That's going to be a real hard one for me to overcome. Do you do you believe in it? Like, do you think that's the right thing? Do you think that it is sports and entertainment, not I think, wrestling? I think that the championship is a championship yeah. and should never be called a belt. You agree with that? I totally, a hundred percent agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I don't think wrestling is a is a dirty word, and I have to get that out of my mind. I really yeah. do. Um, I do a lot of. I call them athletes. I don't call them wrestlers. I don't call them superstars because I think that's fucking lame as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I call them athletes. Um, the girls are our girls are knockouts. Right. I like that a lot better than diva. I think diva is a very antiquated and dated word huh. in 2015. But I think knockout is a lot better. So I think you know you you look at checks and balances, and I think okay TNA won when they started calling their girls knockouts. The superstars thing to me is like ugh, what, what does that even mean? No, like like when Bradley Cooper walks in for an interview, he's like I'm not Bradley Cooper superstar. You know I'm an actor. Right. Like, give me a break. Um, so I think that that has to be figured well, out. Well, I think that, I think part of it is that Bradley Cooper doesn't have to refer to himself as a superstar because he's just looked at as a superstar. Whereas in the past, what were known as pro wrestlers weren't necessarily looked at as superstars. So that's something that we or you, as you know, broadcasters, have to ingrain in the people. I think I think that's part of it, like conditioning people. It's branding, right? It's all their branding. to look at these guys as quote unquote superstars. Right. Because they need to be larger than life where they maybe weren't before. I mean, I understand it. I just think that that's the wrong word. And I think wrestler is okay. I think it, when you listen to the guys talk, the athletes themselves, they don't mind if you refer to them as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby Roode is a wrestler's wrestler. He mm-hmm. loves wrestling. So it's just going to be – it's just a different school of thought. And I think that the fans of this particular genre – they like it when you call it wrestling because that's what they're watching. They don't, you know, hey, I'm going to turn on the show to watch the superstars and the divas. No, I'm going to turn on to watch the wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing, too, and you don't want them to feel bad for liking wrestling. And nor should they. Right. You know, it's just a different genre of things that, you know, their show is going to do, their Monday show is going to do a 3.5 every week no matter what they do. Although I have been re- uh, suggested to maybe rename this the uh, Sam Roberts Sports Entertainment Podcast. Well, you would probably get more guests from their world. You think so? If you did that, yes. And, and change the logo. I love it. The, the, the name and the stars and the whole picture. The of you. cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I don't think they like it. Why don't, wouldn't they like that? I don't know. You're like the main wrestling media guy. You're like the guy that they go. You're like the go-to now. Yeah, they like me. Everyone likes you. I'm on Countdown. You're, I'm on the network. You're a nice guy. Look, I love sports entertainment. Okay? I know you do. I'm a WWE. What, what uh, some people would refer to as a mark. Yeah, smart. Smart. You're a no, smart. I wouldn't call myself a smart. Smart. Well, you go on the internet. You read stuff. <laughs> Is you that all it takes? You go to all the shows. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but you know why I'm not a smart? Why? Because I like watching wrestling still. I don't, okay. I, don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't tweet about it, about how bad it is. Yeah. I think to be a smart, you have to, you know, kind of tweet about how terrible what you're watching is. And that's the other thing that I think people really need to, I don't understand why TNA get, has gotten the reputation over the years that it's gotten. And I'll be f- the first one to admit that before I started working here, I didn't watch it. 
I, right. I barely watched. I watched our shows because I was getting paid to watch them. I, you know, that's why I watch WWE. I mean, don't you think? I think storyline is 100% the most important thing in, in sports entertainment or pro wrestling or whatever you call sure. it. Sure. The story. And, I mean, I think that's all it is. I To me, I feel like if TNA had stories that were like, you have to see what's going on over well, here. not for nothing, but I thought that one of the best stories in 2014 was Dixie going through a table. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very, it was compelling for sure, but I've seen women go through a table before. But... The way they teased it and the way that it was the it was threat really of the well, deal. Yeah. And I just feel like Bully probably had a lot to do with he how did, that went. He did a great job at making it feel important. Yeah. And then the commercial the week before, nah. I had just started. I don't know if I had, was in Nashville yet or if I was still up here or whatever the case may be. But I remember messaging them being like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like embrace the fact that you're taped and embrace the fact that you can be episodic. Yeah. Like when Ross proposes to Rachel – you see in the in the spot three four days before you see him get down on one knee you see him pull up the ring right. and then it cuts to to black. Does so you don't it know, happen? You gotta see the end. You gotta see what happens. Yeah, and sometimes it does, and sometimes right. it doesn't. That way, and you know, I think if they were a taped show, they would totally embrace that. Yeah. and it happened when they were in the UK not too long ago. They were putting out spoilers. Well, you have to because it's the element of surprise is gone at that point. Now you're just watching. To see it. Right, but it's an internal struggle, I think, with some people. They're like, well, you know, we should own that we're live, or we should be this, or we should be that. And it's like, no, embrace what you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in 2014, in 2015, was 2014. In 2015, yeah. how was your New Year's? It's great. Cool. It's great. I was thinking, I mean, I feel like I assaulted 2014. You gonna, assaulted assault, it? Assault and I'm murdering 2015. Okay. That's how I feel. How about you? Um,. Assault's a little vicious. Well, murdering is worse. It really is. And that's is. what I mean. Yeah. No, I didn't murder anything or anyone in 2014. No, it's a metaphor. Ah. Uh, for like, what you did to the year. Exactly. All right. Well, whatever. Exactly. I think you're going to murder 2015. You I'm going to do this? my best. Now, I'm going to do my best. The, uh, uh, the producing of the announcers in WWE is well, ha! well documented. Uh, I think, I feel like Mick Foley was the first one to really blow that up when he mm-hmm. said, I can't, uh, I, I decided to stop broadcasting because Vince McMahon kept yelling in my ear. Mm-hmm. Um, does TNA – does that happen there? No. So is it weird to – as much as it's like, oh, this is nice, I can just say whatever I want, is it weird to not have somebody telling you what's right and wrong? No, because we get to police ourselves. And having Taz, who's a former three-time world champion, mm-hmm. be the color commentator. Did you do commentary with him in WWE? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and then someone with my experience who's called – Every show in existence, including WrestleMania, yeah, no one can tell us in our heads what's better than what we're thinking or what's going to come out of our mouths next. Mm-hmm. No one. Because no one's done it. it at the level that we've done it at. So just let us be, um, and we're going to give you the best that can be presented. What was for you, like... The moment, because I was reading, I was doing some Josh Matthews Wikipedia before this. Wow. We're really good friends. Why do you really need to Wikipedia? I was reading it. I was like... You could just text me. My wife was saying, uh, clean up a little bit before we leave today. Yeah. And I go, no, I'm reading about Josh. And she was like, you know everything about Josh. You've hung out with him dozens and dozens of times. Why are you... But it was because 
I wanted to I, I was I was reading about some of the on camera stuff that you've done and trying to figure out like what was the things that you actually like doing because obviously you come in as a, a super wrestling fan that was well documented on Tough Enough. At some point working there, I would think that you're not that super wrestling fan anymore. You're just the guy who works there. I'm sure enjoys his job or whatever. But um, what was it calling WrestleMania? Was it taking a Stone Cold Stunner? Was it Brock Lesnar throwing you into a wall on Raw? Was it what, what was your favorite kind of moment there? Was it wrestling a match with Booker T? Two matches. I'm undefeated. Um, no, to me, I never felt more comfortable than calling a match. That, that to me, like, that clicked right away. That's what you liked. So, yeah, and when I auditioned, it was like, let's have him do stand-ups and let's have him do color and let's have him do play play last. And that was the one that was like, everyone was like, whoa, that's what he's going to do. Mm. So that that to me always came the easiest and the most fun, too. That I, I know how to prep for that. Um, I like doing the hosting on the panels and stuff, but that came with time because I sort of, as I became a broadcaster, yeah. um, I started to watch guys on TV. You know, you, you do your due diligence and you watch people that you like. And Chris Fowler, I, I love him, and Kirk Herbstreit and the whole ESPN College Game Day crew. I always thought, like, I would love to do something like that. So when we started doing the pre and post shows and the pay-per-view pre-shows, um, that I really, really liked. Do you watch? The, do you pay any attention to those now and at all? Have this sort of like, well, that's my baby. I that was. No, I, created I don't the... think people knew how ingrained I was with those shows mm-hmm. and how I would get them on like a Thursday and then I would rewrite them and then send them to the home team writer and then he would present that draft. Wow. I don't think people knew that. Or after the first meeting would happen on Monday, the producer would come out. So it would be the producer of the show myself and the writer and i would just dictate to them what we were going to do what graphics we would need and things of that nature i don't think anyone knew that and i can't go back and watch it now and say okay they're just basically bluntly stealing what i did Mm -hmm. because i don't watch it now right so but that was always fun for me have you have you watched tna and started to get caught up on that instead yeah that's been you know nonstop doing homework so what is it what does mike tanay say when you walk into the tna office and he like is he sitting well, there going was, like, oh, boy, like, or is he ready to move on to the next thing? Because uh, he's still there. He's doing right. the, uh, the Saturday morning the Saturday uh, morning show. Unlocked show, which is cool. It's like um, if you ever watch movies on AMC, mm-hmm. like if you watch Home Alone on AMC, where they give you like the little factoids on the bottom. I, I'm always I'm a fan of that. Uh-huh. Like I'll sit and watch a whole movie that I've seen 50 times just to get those little, you know, trivia notes. Pop up video Pop-up style. Pop up video style. So that's um, what Unlocked is. And I think that's a very cool deal for a Saturday morning. Yeah, I think uh, I said a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I think, that it also I feel like gives well, hopefully, well, if it works, it should give some history to TNA. Sure. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, I mean, WWE is so great about is is maintaining its legacy and kind of its branding. Dude, I'm not going to say that it's not murky, because even the title history. Right, because it's NWA title. Right, so, this, so if you hear the way I do it, I've gotten rid of the NWA legacy and the lineage of their championship. Our first ever champion is mm-hmm. Kurt Angle. He's, wow. He's won the championship more than anyone. He's a five-time TNA World Heavyweight Champion. And, that's and that, to me, is on. where the title starts. Right. The X Division is a TNA baby, so that's easy. Um, and the tag titles don't exist before the TNA. And I know that there's probably people out there that are like, oh, my God, that's so terrible. But you got to start somewhere. And if we're TNA and that championship over there says TNA, yeah. then that's it. Kurt Angle's the first champion. Well, what do you think about the confusion that exists when you call it Impact Wrestling? 
And now it's like because it, it, at one point it stopped. Like the name of the show wasn't Impact. It was what we're watching is Impact Wrestling, and TNA is this sort of above. Here, let me let me. This is how I present it. Yeah. TNA Entertainment presents Impact Wrestling. And that's referring to the organization, yes. not the TV show. Yes. So shouldn't it be so? The, okay. So the couldn't it be the Impact Wrestling champion then? No. Because TNA let's presents. Say, let's say two years from now, right. uh, A secondary show happens. Uh, a first run secondary show. Your SmackDown. Right. You're not gonna. You're gonna bring over the TNA Heavyweight Championship mm-hmm. to that secondary show. Right. Let's say that that show is called the Sam Roberts Show. That's actually a great name. You could have your Impact Wrestlers and yeah. your Sam Roberts Wrestlers. Right, but your champion is still the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. But Bobby Roode better watch out because my Sam Roberts Wrestlers are hungry. So you have, and so they're going to come you, for you that already, title. You you would make yourself champion. I think I think I think, you know what, guys. I think uh, I think it'd be best for the territory, personally. Yeah, I've gotten accused of having Booker's disease um, for uh, the Amwis Bud YouTube show for a little bit there. I was putting myself in every episode. Were you? Yep. And then I got called out for it, and I was like, "Oh, you're right. I have Booker's disease, <laughs> and I will now take myself out of the show." <laughs> and that's why you're not there anymore. Correct. Well, listen. Yeah, it's a great show so, every yeah. Wednesday on YouTube. So, did was there any weirdness with Mike today, or was he cool? Um. <sighs> It was only weird because of you got to remember that when I first started, there was no TV deal. Nobody knew where anyone was going to be. Was that scary for you? Um, yes, because I was being courted by other companies. Huh? But because TNA did it's business, not that many other companies. We can probably do a little math and figure that well, out. We'll figure it out. But yeah. other non wrestling companies oh, okay. as well. Okay. Um, so, but I shook hands with TNA in, in the summer, and I I'm, I try to keep my word as best I can. So when they called me, um, Nicole and I, that's my girlfriend, we were driving from um, New York to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And TNA called, and they said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, man, I just drove like 14 hours. Oh, you're in Nashville? <laughs> well, no, I'm in Chicago. Right. We need you in Nashville. What are, what are you doing? And at this point, there was no TV deal. The, the Spike deal had come out that they weren't going to be on Spike anymore. And, yeah, um, the only guarantee is that there is no TV deal. That was it. Right. But I, they said, look, we're going to have something. Can't tell you what it is. Can't tell you what network it's going to be on. Man. Just have to trust us. And I, I never asked them about it again. I said, okay. And I heard when the world heard that we were going to be on Destination America. Because that, be a, 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 that had to be a crazy time. You have this thing where you were only unemployed for an hour. Yeah. And they're like, no, we're going to make you our play-by-play guy. We'll probably have TV. Yeah. And you're going. I remember being in the room in New York that day saying, can this company exist without domestic television? Yeah. And the answer was, well, probably. Because there are so many international, international deals. And you probably could keep the company afloat. But in, in this day and age, you need television presence in the United States. You just yeah. can't not have it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we with Destination America, there's no TV in Canada. So I think that deal will get announced soon. So that's another, you know, just income stream. And I think people always, oh, TNA is going to go out of business. I, I tweeted earlier today, and, you know, something about TNA, and they're like, they're not out of business? It's like, just relax. And why, as a fan, I mean, would you even want them to be out of business? That's the other thing that I don't understand. Yeah. Well, I said, too, I mean, I think with the New Japan now on pay-per-view, TNA has a TV deal. Pro Wrestling Syndicate in Jersey has local TV. All these... Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground is this great TV show. I feel like all this uh, wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, is starting to uh, become more accessible. And all it's going to do is give people alternatives, which is going to make everything better. It's a great time to be a fan of the I mean, genre. Even having NXT... I don't know if you heard about the last NXT pay-per-view. It was but great. Having yeah. NXT as good as it is... Is good for everybody because it's a standard to beat. 
Yeah, and it's it's different though. It's different from the main presentation that you see, and I think a lot of people appreciate the the new style of presentation that they're getting from TNA because it yeah. looks different. So they can look however they want. We look different. Lucha Underground looks different. Everyone has their own identities, and no one's just saying, "Okay, what I see on Mondays is the standard for how a wrestling show should look." Right. Everyone's now being like, "Okay, well, we can be gritty. We can we can be modern. We can be however we want as long as we have our own identity." And I think that is key in longevity and success. Do you think, in terms of longevity and success, TNA is better off hiring guys that have a certain degree of fame? I mean, I guess you're in that club, too. Hiring guys to come in that have a certain degree of fame or building guys. I mean, the champion now is a guy that's been built by TNA. But historically, throughout TNA's run, most of the major players have been uh, guys who achieved their fame elsewhere. Yes, but some of my favorite guys in TNA are the homegrown talent. Mm-hmm. Bobby Roode, Austin Aries. I love those guys. If you're in charge, where do you focus more on? The homegrown or... I think you have to do both. You do. I really do. I think that your champion... I don't think you can hot shot the title off to a guy that just got his release papers. You know, I think you have right. to stick by your guys that have been there for a long time. But if a free agent opens up that you think, God, this is a guy that we can, uh, you know, as they say, put the rocket on his back and send him to the moon... I think you have to go that way. One of those Josh Matthews freeze up? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, you know, if, uh, I don't want to say anyone's name, but there's a few guys out there that are like, man, if they become available, those guys can be key players down the road. I guess that is. Are you excited about TNA? I just just can't wait. Yeah. And do you like working with Taz? Love it. You do? He's the guy that trained me in the business and known us since I'm 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. uh, And it's cool because as a fan, as a kid, like we'll talk sometimes on the phone late at night, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. And he always will say, man, this is how we used to do an ECW. This is it. Paul would call me and we'd talk for hours and then he'd call Tommy and then he'd call Bubba. And he's like, that was their creative team. So we didn't know it at the time. Right. You know, Paul was just having three different meetings. That was his creative team. And he would, Taz tells me, you know, he would talk to me about Tommy's stories. And he would talk to me about the Dudley stories. And he's like, I didn't realize at the time, but we we were having the creative meeting for TV. Right. So, and then we talk, you know, we're all from the business. It's what we know. So it's easy to talk on the phone with someone like that for two or three hours. And does Taz feel, does Taz enjoy TNA? He's been there six years. Yeah. Yeah. He loves it. He does. Dude, when I was in New York, when I first got there, he must have asked me 50 times. He's like, how much better is this? How much better is this? Everyone's happy, right? There's no, no one's, you don't see the boys off in the corner. You don't see six or seven of them like, you know, uh, I would always call them like the same, the Kurt Hawkins crew. You know, you'd always see them at WWE shows up in the rafters, five or six of them, bitter, angry, miserable. And they had every right to, I'm not saying calling them out, they had every right to be angry. Um, But you don't see that. You don't have that click of guys. Gotcha. Everybody's just happy to kind of, well, you know, and, and you said about TNA going out of business and stuff. Everybody that I've talked to, I talked to Robbie E. a few weeks ago before I did Love the podcast. Robbie E. He's, Love he's We're going to get an apartment together in, you and Robbie in, in, e? in Nashville. That's the rumor, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Rockstar Spud. I got to visit. You're more than welcome. Friendsgiving, yeah. part three. Yeah. Um, but I've he's been in here, and uh, I did a roundtable with uh, Loki and MVP and Samoa Joe and Homicide. And, and uh, when Bully Ray was still in TNA. Everybody who's with the organization, nobody in the organization seems to be worried about them going out of business. Never that, seen. That's all sort of this outside thing. Yeah. And, and the more of the boys from the locker room that I talk to, at least they're telling me that all they really care about is going out there and doing good matches. Right. And Dixie said uh, in an interview not too long ago, you know, she, I've never, she said, I've never 
was afraid that the company was going to go out of business. She goes, I was just doing TV negotiations. Somehow it became public, and I was doing my negotiations just like I do every two years. And it just became this big thing, and I think it was the TMZ article that came out that said, Spike TV's canceling TNA. And I think that sort of just steamrolled everything, and everyone started to get worried. Yeah. And that was it. At the end of the day, there was TV. It wasn't like the 11th hour. I think that we announced it a little late, mm-hmm. you know, but that's just the way the business goes. Got to cross the T's and dot the I's. Well, good luck with everything. Thanks, bud. Where can they get you on Twitter? Uh, at Real Josh Matthews. I've crossed over the uh, half a million threshold. So, uh... <laughs> not to brag or anything. I don't remember, remember asking. Remember, in 2015, it's all about me being humble. Right, right, yeah. right. And it's uh, Josh Matthews with one T. One T. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out, buddy. This was fun. Thanks for the diet soda. <laughs> you notice I didn't say the brand name of the soda. Good. I've done the radio before. They're not paying. No. They're, they're not paying. paying. Hey. Jesus Christ. Thank you, Josh. All right. See you, bud. Here is Sam Roberts. There you have it. Josh Matthews. I feel like a side of Josh Matthews that a lot of people don't get to see. He doesn't really have a lot of opportunity to just be himself. And that was Josh. That was Josh in a nutshell, we didn't really touch on the JR Twitter beef that he had a, a month or two ago, but that was because he, he covered a lot of that on Taz's podcast. Uh, and because we got into so much other stuff, there's no doubt that right now he appears to be significantly happier at TNA. But I don't think, I, I, th- I think most people who spend as long as he did working for a single company uh, are, are ready for a change, especially when you're Josh's age. Josh is a guy, he's in his 30s. So, you know, to spend over 10 years working for one company, even if it is the WWE, I guess is going to wear on somebody. I thought it was hilarious hearing the fact that he decided he was too good to, I, not that he was too good, but just <laughs> he had this dream of being this wrestler. And he started this promotion and everything in the minute that he realized that there was travel and all this other stuff involved. He just said, ah, never mind. Never mind any of this. It goes to tell you how quickly. And, I mean, you can at least respect the fact that he knew it was, oh, wait, I was wrong about this. I don't like this part at all. I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't know how he ended up uh, getting in. A lot of lucky breaks for him, but he definitely made the most of his breaks, and developed into a, 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 a talent as far as broadcasting and wrestling goes. Speaking of Josh's talent, he's also a very sharp dresser. You know, if you, you can see him on, uh, on Impact Wrestling now, on Destination America. You can watch him on TNA's YouTube show. But even when he was in WWE, he dresses quite well for a gentleman. And uh, I think... I think that's not something you can take for granted from people, especially guys. The reason guys should dress better. Girls like guys who dress well. I don't know if you need to go full on metro, but if you can dress well, girls like it. Um, And I think one of the reasons why guys a lot of times don't bother trying is because we have no idea. It just doesn't come naturally to us for the most part, this fashion stuff. And to, to take it on as a hobby is a huge undertaking. Uh, I do recommend checking out Josh's pod- podcast. It's called Men's Fashion Aficionado. You can find it on iTunes. It's part of the Play.it network. Uh, and it's basically Josh as a guy's guy breaking down fashion and breaking down how a dude like you or I 
can actually learn how to kind of dress well. He's doing, um, he's planning all kinds of episodes. He's doing an episode about socks. He's doing an episode about uh, where you can find cool clothes on the internet so you don't have to embarrass yourself in a store. He's doing, uh, you know, episodes on, on, on pants, I'm sure, all kinds of stuff. I recommend the podcast. It's Men's Fashion Aficionado. It's Josh's new venture, and I think it's important to support people who have uh, been in the business as long as Josh has, who have provided as much entertainment as Josh has and, and has added to the entertainment like Josh has. Support the fact that he's uh, trying to do something new and trying to pursue other passions in his life. So check out his podcast, Men's Fashion Aficionado. Speaking of podcasts, I made some comments on this podcast that I didn't realize would be controversial. I didn't realize uh, giving the benefit of a doubt was a controversial thing. I thought, if anything, it was kind of middle of the road. But uh, got a lot of heat, and I've rethought my stance based on uh, the last week of WWE wrestling. So without further ado, it's the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right. So first and foremost, you know, I'm always going to have a loyalty to WWE. It's not a secret I make here on the podcast. It's, and it's not, I mean, they treat me very well. They always have. But it's really because I grew up with WWE. It's something I've always been into. It's, it's, it's like growing up with He-Man, you're always going to kind of like He-Man. If you grew up with Ghostbusters, you're always going to kind of like Ghostbusters. When they come out with new Ghostbusters toys, you're going to go buy them. If you grew up with whatever, that, I grew up with WWE. I found WCW later on, but WWF, WWE was a constant throughout my childhood, and it's something that's always been there, and it's something that you know hopefully always will be there. So I, I definitely have a WWE bias, and I think part of me is an optimist for it. I think I, I always kind of hope for the best. I, I, I look at something, and I say there's got to be more than meets the eye to this. And usually in pro wrestling, there is more than meets the eye. There's something else going on. So last week... Hashtag give divas a chance was trending everywhere after Raw went off the air. And it was based on the fact that the Bellas uh, uh, went toe-to-toe with Paige and Emma on Raw. And the match lasted about 30 seconds. It was terrible. It It wasn't even a good 30 seconds. Like Ronda Rousey, she fought at UFC and her fight lasted 14 seconds. It was one of the most incredible things you could ever see. This 30 second WWE match was one of the lousiest things you could ever see. And I thought to myself, why bother? Why would WWE bother putting a Divas match on TV, a tag team Divas match involving four Divas in a match that lasted 30 seconds? What's the point of this? As I watched the match from from a basic, just take it as it is standpoint, I said, why? What was the point of that? And then when it became a trending topic, when everybody was kind of thinking what I was thinking, NXT, WWE's developmental territory, is putting on these amazing women's matches. You've heard me talk about Sasha Banks before. First of all, you've heard me talk about NXT, and you've heard me say here on the podcast that NXT is my favorite wrestling show on television right now it's just an it's it's great it reminds me of not watching wrestling as a kid but watching wrestling when I was in high school and it actually felt cool not just like an escape 
Not just like something fun, not just a show, but something that was cool. Something tangibly cool that you could show your friends and it wouldn't be embarrassing. It'd be cool. That even if your friends didn't get it, right now pro wrestling, if your friends don't get it and you show it to them, it's an embarrassing thing. NXT, if you show it to somebody who doesn't really get pro wrestling, they still might think it's cool because it's cool. Monday Night Raw, the pay-per-views, that's not, it's not cool. It's wrestling. If you like wrestling, then it's fun. I went to the uh, – I, I was in Newark for Raw this week, and I still love going to live shows. I was at the Royal Rumble. I was at Hulk Hogan Appreciation Night. I was in Newark for Raw. All those live shows were – I had a great time at. I still like wrestling, but I don't take for granted that other people do. And when I have somebody over the house – I'm not going to suggest that I sh- we rewatch the Royal Rumble if they are not a wrestling fan because they're going to look at me like, seriously, this is what you watch? That's just the reality of where we're at today with pro wrestling. NXT is a different story. As far as their women's division goes, I mean, you've heard me say Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler right now, and I think she probably is. You got Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter, who's wrestling in NXT's women's division. And people are saying that, that she, there, there are people predicting that at some point, Charlotte will be the first female to headline a WWE main roster pay-per-view. The things that are going on in the NXT women's division are on par, if not better than anything that's happening with the men in the NXT women's division. And I think that's a sign of the times. You know, whether it's, whether it's comedy and you see these female comics that are just destroying everything in a good way. You see people like Amy Schumer and Melissa McCarthy and Natasha Leggero and all these great, Chelsea Handler, all these, Whitney Cummings, all these great female comics that are just as good, if not better, Chelsea Peretti. Than male comics. And you don't look at them anymore as if like, oh, let's go see this novelty. Let's go see this female comedian. It's not a novelty. It's like, okay, we're going to see a comedian. That comic is funnier than anybody I've seen all year. Oh, it's a female. What a coincidence. Who knew? That's weird. That's ironic. We wouldn't have looked at it that way five years ago. When you watch UFC, I just talked about Ronda Rousey. The women's match, the women's fight on the card is not like the WrestleMania 3 midget match. It's not a a variety show. It's not a novelty act. It's, I can't wait for the Ronda Rousey fight. And you watch that UFC pay-per-view. And everybody walking out of that show and everybody covering it in mainstream media. Ronda Rousey was the name they were saying. Everybody's interested in what the next fight Ronda Rousey is going to be participating in. And uh, three years ago, Dana White was saying that he would never have females fighting in the UFC because it's a novelty, and it's not anymore. And that's the way pro wrestling needs to go. That's the, I mean, contemporary, uh, let's live in 2015. Okay, people are okay seeing women do things that they're good at. I love seeing talented women. And quite frankly, WWE has hired... In Sarah Del Rey, my favorite female wrestler, a couple years ago, she was my favorite female wrestler to watch. If you haven't seen her, go find some tapes because she's incredible. She's now the trainer in NXT for women. 
So these women that are coming out of NXT are are the equivalent to what UFC has with women like Ronda Rousey. These amazing athletes that are on par with what the men are doing. And a lot of the divas in WWE, even though they weren't trained the way some of the women in NXT were trained to be uh, as good, have improved in major, major ways. Okay, when Alicia Fox, when the Bella Twins, when people like that were hired, WWE was pretty much just hiring models. They were literally doing the diva search where you had no, you didn't even have to have a background in athletics. I mean, they were hiring models and Playboy centerfolds. The few people that had backgrounds in athletics were dancers and kind of just teaching them the basics of wrestling so they could put on a novelty act that they could use to relax the crowd before the main event. That's not the world that we live in anymore. So when I saw last week the Bellas who are, have done incredible things in terms of getting better in the ring. Nikki and Brie Bella are two of my favorite performers to watch. They've improved immensely in the last few years. The Bellas taking on Emma and Paige, both of whom are incredible because they came from that NXT system. I'm going, okay, here's a match. When that match lasts 30 seconds and it's not worth the TV time that it's on, I'm thinking to myself, WWE has got to have something up its sleeve. When Give Divas a Chance starts trending, I go, man, these guys are geniuses. That's my blind optimism. I'm going, man, they got something working. They got people talking. That's what you need to do. To get eyes on your product, you need people talking about it. And with so much going on in the world right now in terms of entertainment, it's difficult to get people talking. I thought they had put on a bad Divas match right after a great NXT pay-per-view with a great NXT women's match so that they could get people talking and so that they could get people upset. I went so far, and this is how naive I am, I went so far as to think that the tweets, AJ Lee sent out tweets to Stephanie McMahon talking about uh, how uh, 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 demanding, advocating for equal treatment for women on the roster. She sent these tweets that talked about how uh, the women do not get paid as much, how the women get less merchandise, how the women get less screen time, less live time. They do not get as many opportunities to make money as the men do, even though they're just as big, if not more, of a draw. I said WWE is doing great here. They're making people talk. Now you've got an employee complaining to the boss of the company in a public place and it's somebody like A.J. Lee who's known to kind of be an outspoken person. And who's, I mean, for God's sake, she's married to CM Punk, the most outspoken person of all time. So I'm thinking, okay, they are on the right track. The more I read, the more feedback I got, the more I realized I was one of the very few people who thought this way. Nobody was thinking this was a work except me. I didn't read it anywhere. And at first I thought... Sam Roberts, this is why you've been watching wrestling for 30 years. You know a little something-something that the other people don't know. This is it, Sam. Your expertise is finally coming in handy. Wait until the big reveal. But then I kept reading, and I said, okay. If you're in a room 
and everybody's calling you a jerk, you're not going to look around the room and say, this is a room full of jerks. They all think that of me. I'm good. No. The fact is that they're all calling you a jerk. That's what you are. Generally speaking, majority rules. You're the one who's going to be wrong, not everybody else. And so I started to think like, oh boy, did I call this one wrong? Then I'm sitting there in Newark watching Monday Night Raw this week. And I watched uh, Nikki Bella and Paige go one-on-one and AJ Lee come back. And I watched as they gave how they gave two segments to this Divas match. 15 minutes of TV, big comeback for AJ Lee, big pop. I mean, really heightened this thing. And in that moment, I said, I can't believe it. I was wrong. WWE really just booked a lousy Divas match. They just, once again, completely made the wrong call. And it's not, you know, it's not easy to consistently make right calls when you're writing five hours of live TV a week plus pay-per-views. But, I mean, I am astounded at how wrong they got the Divas thing last week. I mean, as much of it, I, I can't even imagine where they would get that from. People love watching the women on NXT. Every wrestling fans, all they talk about is the women on NXT. Mainstream fans, all they do is watch Total Divas. It's a huge success on E. There is no way you can tell me that the Divas right now are not bigger stars than half of the roster. So when I saw them getting treated like jobbers, I said, there's, obviously there's a bigger plan here. The fact is, I don't think that anymore. I don't think there was a bigger plan. I think they got it wrong. And I can't tell you how disappointing it is. It's ridiculous that they wouldn't think to themselves, we have a moment to actually be a progressive company, to actually be a company that recognizes what's happening in 2015, that people want to see skilled women do things that they've never seen women do before. Uh, you know, all they talk about is creating these role models for females. Triple H and Stephanie McMahon have both talked about how many that, 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 an, that a surprising amount of women are actually watching the show, that it's not this extreme minority that people think it is. So why do you give women 30 seconds of TV time to do nothing? Why don't you give women a chance to do things that have not been done in many, many, many years? you got these beautiful, gorgeous women. I mean, they look amazing, and they can actually pull off decent matches, and you're not going to let them? When you've got a hot chick and she can kick ass, you better show that chick kicking ass. And I, I cannot, for the life of me, understand where they would get the idea that, you know what, we're going to give an extra segment to whoever in order to – and, you know, if we have to push the Divas back, we have to push the Divas back. I, right now, the Divas are one of the most important things on TV. And, and I, I was wrong. I was wrong when I said uh, hashtag give divas a chance was a work. I gave WWE too much credit, as I tend to do sometimes. I was wrong about that. And I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. 
Because you know what else? I, I'll tell you this. I still stand by my statement. I'm happy with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar as the main event for WrestleMania based on the result of the Royal Rumble. I think this is they just got to stick by this thing. They have to make Roman Reigns work. And I think they can. Whether it's a babyface or a heel, just make it work. That, I think, is doable. I think that can happen. But how you go from a place where the world is talking about Daniel Bryan to the point where he's headlining a pay-per-view two weeks ago to the point where he's a contender to main event WrestleMania to now it looks as though Daniel Bryan is going to be one of eight men in an intercontinental title ladder match at WrestleMania. That's what you're doing with this guy. You're taking him from, I'm okay with him not being in the title match because that's the way things went. But there's no reason why he can't be right under the title match. There's no reason why you can't give him the match with Seth Rollins. If you remember, before the Royal Rumble, I went on my podcast, I went on uh, Straight Shoot, I went everywhere and said, my WrestleMania main event that I want to see is Seth Rollins versus Daniel Bryan with Seth Rollins as the champion. I wanted Seth Rollins to win the title at the Royal Rumble. I wanted him to have the title and the Money in the Bank briefcase at the same time, and I wanted Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble. I still to this day wish that had happened. And that you could have had a Daniel Bryan-Seth Rollins world title main event match. And then still done Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. And get Roman Reigns over. People would start, would like him more because they wouldn't feel like he was getting pushed down their throat. He could beat Brock Lesnar. I'm okay with Brock Lesnar being off TV as long as you put Paul Heyman with somebody else because he's the most compelling personality on the show. I don't need Brock Lesnar on the show anymore. I, 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 there's enough on the show without Brock Lesnar. But you could have had Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar without the title on the line, and then Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins with the title on the line, and then Triple H and Sting, and then Bray Wyatt and Undertaker, and still do an eight-person ladder match, and still do a big Divas match, and you've got a huge pay-per-view there. You've got a situation where you have a world title match that is all about the future. Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins, strictly the future is right there. That is the match that marks a new era. Then you got Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar and a chance to make Roman Reigns a hero. A chance for Roman Reigns to be the first guy to beat Brock Lesnar in a one-on-one match since he beat the Undertaker streak. And then you're left with a scenario where you've got a main event scene with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins and Randy Orton can come back and all these guys vying for that world title. You've still got the sellable parts of the pay-per-view. You've still got your Triple H and Sting match. You've st- that's the big Legends match. That's the marquee. You've still got your Undertaker-Bray Wyatt match, if that's the direction you want to go. And I don't mind that at all. I think that's a great look for Bray Wyatt, whether he wins or loses. But to take somebody, I'll never understand it. I'll never understand the way that company sees Daniel Bryan. And I don't know if it's something Daniel Bryan does that they just don't like and that we don't see watching TV. But I will never understand, and I don't think in any other era in WWE, 
would you get somebody as hot as Daniel Bryan and have it ignored and have it put in into an eight-person intercontinental ladder match? It makes no sense to me. In no other era could somebody come out, be as hot as Daniel Bryan is right now, and still just, all right, let's throw him in the eight-person ladder match. For why? To make everybody else look better because there'll be a couple great spots? Yeah, it's going to be a great ladder match, but it'd be great with or without Daniel Bryan. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. It is crazy to go from WrestleMania 30 to go from that moment, to go from the short title run, to go from the injury, to go from the heroic return to injury, to go from the outrage of Daniel Bryan being eliminated in the Royal Rumble, to go from the amazing main event that Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns turned into, and then to see Roman Reigns go to the main event and Daniel Bryan be put into an eight-person ladder match is completely beyond me. I don't understand it whatsoever. I would love for someone to explain it to me. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Now, like I said, I'm okay. I think Triple H and Sting is cool. I'm okay with that. I think Bray Wyatt versus Undertaker is amazing. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think, I, I'm cool with an eight-person ladder match. I think, I, I'm glad because I think the money in the bank was a good part of WrestleMania. But it's horrendous that Daniel Bryan is in that match, if he is. Um, yeah, you know, uh, hopefully they're going to do a Miz-Mizdow match. Maybe a Goldust-Stardust career on the line match. I don't know. But, and, I, and you know, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I would have put a different match in that world title slot. But if that's the match, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with seeing that match. I would have preferred it not be for the title, for the title but so be it. Look, I mean, even put Daniel Bryan in Randy Orton's spot. What if it's Daniel Bryan with Jon Stewart in his corner, if that's what's going on, versus Seth Rollins? That would be better. Than what's going on. And I love Randy Orton. I think he's amazing. But, I mean, you know, as popular as Randy Orton is, he is not, he does not have the heat. And by that, I don't mean you know, people angry at him. I mean being hot. He does not have the heat that Daniel Bryan does and has had. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, w- I would love... To just spend some time with the decision makers or maker, as I would assume it is, and and just pick his brain and go, what are you doing? Let me let me in there. Let me be the perspective of a fan. Okay, I feel like I'm a comfortable medium. Like I I I, I live in reality, but I also am very supportive of the product. I want what's best. I understand that there is this this big picture. I understand that they're not targeting just the internet fans, and they're not targeting just the kids, and they're not targeting just the adults. They need something that wraps around the whole thing. Kids love Daniel Bryan. You see tiny little arms along with adult arms pointing to the air and shouting yes when he comes down the aisle. Kids love Daniel Bryan. They're showing the video of Connor, Connor's Cure. They're raising money for Connor's Cure, which I think is a beautiful thing that they do. I love the charity work WWE does. 
but they're raising money for Connor's cure. And it's all based around the fact that this kid was inspired by Daniel Bryan winning the title. So when you're focusing this much on this charitable endeavor, which is the right thing to do, how can you ignore the wrestling part? That this little eight-year-old loved Daniel Bryan, and he's not the only eight-year-old that loves him. I think they're doing a good job of moving Cena a little bit back. I think the, the, the back and forth between Stephanie McMahon and John Cena on Monday Night Raw this week was good, really great. And, and it was real, and it was real issues, and it was cool. I think that's good. But why, what are you opening up that spot for if you're, you're going to put Randy Orton in it or something? Like, why would you not put Daniel Bryan in that spot now? I said last week I was okay with Roman Reigns going to the main event because it's not like Daniel Bryan was getting pushed out of the main event scene. I said Daniel Bryan is obviously a main event guy, and after WrestleMania, he'll be right in that hunt for the title. Maybe he'll still be in the hunt, but he's not in the main event scene at WrestleMania if he's in the Intercontinental Title 8-man match. Like, what is that? Why would Daniel Bryan need the Stepping Stone title? The Intercontinental title is looked at historically as the stepping stone to the world title. He won the world title last year. It was the Cinderella moment of the year. He almost won a spot in the main event two weeks ago. What is he going to do with a stepping stone? It's a weird thing if you're potentially looking at a WWE where John Cena is the U.S. champion and Daniel Bryan is the Intercontinental champion. What's left for the guys that actually need a stepping stone? Oi, oi, oi. We'll see. I don't know. This road to WrestleMania is a long and winding one. This is, a, this is maybe the weirdest road to WrestleMania ever. And that says a lot after last year. I have faith. I always have faith. And I, will, I don't, well, I can't say I'll never lose faith because there have been moments. But I'm not losing faith at all. WrestleMania is going to be a great show regardless. It's always a great show. I mean, you know, it's going to be awesome. But what goes on? What on earth goes on? I wish somebody could explain it to me. I really wish they could. Um, all right. We got no, I, I'm way over. I'm way past where I wanted to be. Uh, I, I, I would comment a lot. I mean, the Bill DeMott thing is everywhere. Bill DeMott, a trainer at, at NXT, is getting called out again, as he has before, by people who used to be in NXT, uh, calling out some of the inappropriate nature of his, uh, 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 of his coaching, his language, his... Uh, 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 his safety, his a whole bunch of stuff. If you haven't seen it, you can find it on the internet. There's a there's a whole thing going on. I don't uh, this uh, WWE is a publicly traded company, and this story with Bill Demott is is really starting to open up. I don't see Bill Demott sticking around, for better or worse. I've never trained under the guy. I don't see him sticking around. Um, but then again, I thought the stupid Divas thing was a work. What do I know? Holy Toledo. Thanks to Josh Matthews. <laughs> I mean, I am perplexed. Uh, Raw was great on Monday, by the way. It was a very good show. The Jon Stewart segment was, I couldn't believe how without a hitch that went off. Jon Stewart is an amazing addition to WWE. He's what every celebrity guest should be. They should have that kind of fandom before they before they start you know, getting involved with this. But Jon Stewart, I mean... The, the media attention that it's getting, it's great. I love the Jon Stewart stuff. 
Um, and I think it was pulled off right. I think the segment was done well. I think Jon Stewart uh, is doing things in a way that are not making the performers look weak. It's not making Seth Rollins look weak. But it's still getting Jon Stewart over. It's, 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 it's really good what's going on. You know, Paul Heyman was incredible on Raw. No surprise there. Uh, they gave some time to the Divas match. The Roman Reigns match was not bad. Roman Reigns pulled out some stuff. You know, this intercontinental hot potato thing is driving me batty. I wouldn't mind it so much if Daniel Bryan wasn't sitting there at ringside. Like, what are you doing? I mean, we're going to look at... I would say we're going to look at this. You got Wade Barrett, Dean Ambrose, Luke Harper. All running around trying to get that title belt. All three of those guys could be main event guys, I think. Especially Dean Ambrose. But all three of those guys. I would say that one day we'll look at this eight-man ladder match and think, wow, look at all the talent that was in that match. Who would have thought that they'd go on to achieve what they did. But Daniel Bryan's in it, who's already achieved all that stuff. This is something we should have said about a a, a match Daniel Bryan was involved in three years ago. Who would have thought? Who would have thought after his 32nd match with Sheamus that he would go on to win the world title? And then what did he do next year? Oh, he was in an eight-person ladder match for the IC uh, title. Belt. Strap. I don't know. I don't know what goes on. I do wonder, though, if there are arguments. I do wonder if this is something that one person feels, and he's the guy who makes the decision, so he just does it. I wonder if there are arguments. I wonder if there's a consensus. I would love to know. I'm sure we'll never, I'll never know unless it's strictly off the record. I'll probably try to find somebody at WrestleMania to tell me why on earth Daniel Bryan is in that match. I wonder if anybody even knows. I wonder if anybody even asks anymore. Well, listen... That said, I, I, I enjoyed Raw. I'm sure I'll enjoy WrestleMania, but I will be very, very confused. Very, very confused. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, as always, for the feed. Oh, shoot. All right, stay tuned to Twitter, at NotSam. I'm going to uh, announce the winners of the uh, hashtag Time Machine match on Twitter. As you can tell by my, oh, shoot, uh, I forgot to pick two winners. The Sam Roberts, Katie Linendahl, hashtag Time Machine winner, Time Machine match winner will be announced on Twitter. Uh, so stay tuned for that. If you want a t-shirt, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. As always, you can support the podcast and download podcasts and all that at NotSam.com, on iTunes, on everywhere. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.